Blog Talk Radio.
They don't care if you like midgets, humpbacks, or what have you. The point is we are all in this together, and some of us, by some of our actions, have certainly tried to hit the eject button, and what ends up happening is they get brought back every time. So today we're going to address this problem of white supremacy. It is time for us as Africans to do something about it. It's time for us to stand up. It's time for us to stop harboring, stop harboring the feelings of responsibility for what white folks do to us. It's time for us to let them have that burden. That is not our burden. What they do is what they do. It is time for us, instead of us being on defense, it's time for us to go on offense. It's a long time coming. We don't need to make any excuses. We don't need to ask for permission. We don't need to beg. We don't need to do any of those things. I am going to ask all of you, if you are listening, once this show is over, I want you to share this on your wall. I want you to talk to your family and friends in depth about what's going on. Talk about it. Get it out your system. Something that we always tell each other is that we talk too much. To be honest with you, we may do talk too much, but what are we talking about when we talk? Are we really talking about what's going on? Are we talking about Brother Alton Sterling? Are we talking about Brother Phil? What are we saying when we're talking? How are we talking about it? Are we talking about it as far as the point of being scared? Well, hey, I can tell you as a black man, I am scared. When I saw what happened to Alton Sterling and him being gunned down, I was sitting inside of my dining room talking to my son and some of his buddies that were go- they're going to be going off to college this fall. They were showing me the footage. And soon as I was soaking that in, a brother tagged me on Facebook with the footage of Philando Castile and his murder. And it was like a double punch to my gut because I was watching it while it was happening. I was watching it while it was live. I knew when I saw that brother when she first came on and she said he was shot, I knew he was dead. I knew he was dead. I've seen that look before. I know what that look is like. I do. You never lose that. You never lose that look. You never, ever, ever lose that look in your mind. If you've seen death before, it sticks with you. And then Brother Alva Brazil, hands up. Cops get out. Boom, boom, boom. Just like that. Another video. D'Angelo Webb. Boom, boom, boom. Another one. And people don't understand the psyche of black men in America. I'm going to talk about Mika Johnson. If you believe the official story, I, as an African-American male, a black male, I am having a hard time with the official story, but I'm going to share with you a couple of thoughts 
real quick. First thing, he served in the military. He served in the military. They said he was in the reserve, but he went overseas. There's no telling what that brother saw overseas. There's no telling what he has to go through in basic training to even get in a position to be over there. So, oh, he was a carpenter. What does that mean? Have you ever seen death before? Because, see, what happens is a lot of black people get to claim that they're, they, they, they got the urban experience. I've had a relative that died. I've had a relative. Have you ever seen it, though? Because there's experiences, and then there's experiences, Right? Like, you can lose a relative. That's true. But have you ever saw someone dead and what that does to the psyche? What that does to your mind? So the young man gets kicked out the military. They say he goes into a state of depression. Once again, he was in the military. What was his help? He's just like me. He sees all these deaths. We have to sit around and see George Zimmerman selling guns, auctioning off gun, a gun that he killed Trayvon Martin with. White folks buy these guns. We see this fool go into a church inside of South Carolina, shoot up the place, and then the cops take him to Burger King. How do you think that makes us feel? Because we always have to hear about white suffering and white pain. How do you think that makes us feel? Hmm? What man you know can sit, see the face of Sandra Bland, and to see that this sister was tormented in a cell by herself, and possibly hanged. I fuck it. I'm going to say she was hanged. Do you know what that does to the psyche of a black male? Because we talk about everybody else's pain and suffering, but the black man in America is told not only by white folks but by both black men and black women to get over your pain, your suffering, your mental trauma, physical trauma. Oh, it's not that bad. How in the hell do you know? So for this brother, if you believe the story, like I said, I'm still struggling with the story. Take his rifle, take matters in his own hands, shoot the cops, as well as people in the crowd, who no one talks about the people who were shot, unless it's a kumbaya moment. Eyes on TV, she says, oh, I went to go stand in solidarity. I didn't go to protest the police. Lady, you showed up to a protest. That's a part of the black psyche in America here. That's what I'm trying to get you to understand. The psyche. The psyche is serious. The psyche is serious. You know, 
it's it's real serious. And it's serious from the standpoint we have been in a position to where we put white suffering over our own. And that is because of white supremacy. It is. See, if you talk to black women, and you talk to them carefully, and this is why I love sisters so much, they are pretty much groomed from the time that they are born to for other people. They don't really have any lessons to look out for their own well-being. So what sisters end up doing is they end up shouldering the responsibilities of other people. Now, black men, we do it too. But we do it from an emotional standpoint because you can't show your feelings, black man. You can't be crying. You a sissy. You can't show them that you're mad. You're angry. You're violent. You're an animal. You can't show these things. You can't show those things, not to the world. Then we start talking like we, you know, Phil Jackson and the Zen Master. We start talking as if we have to check our emotions. You're African. What you mean, check your emotions? You ever seen brothers and sisters from the continent talk? How emotionally involved they are in their conversation and their feelings and how they love. It's very emotional, very deep. That's why some of us get caught up in the rapture of what they bring. Let's keep it 100. Because they're still being themselves. We're not being ourselves. Now, we got some unique experiences, true that. But really, when I start seeing sisters talk about carrying dogs in purses, when I know when you were growing up as a kid, you couldn't stand a damn dog. And I know you got that from Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie. That's how I know white supremacy works. Because that's what we start doing now. We start trying to copy what we what they consider the dominant society. We need to stop saying that they're the dominant society. That's another form of white supremacy. See how that works? The dominant society. The, the majority. If... You really counted the numbers in America. White folks are not the majority. You know, there's a South America and a North America. Did you know that? Just think about the arrogance that these white folks take up when they just say America, as if the United States encompasses every bit of the Americas. South America, look how many Africans, how many black folks are there. What about Mexico? What about all these other places? See, white supremacy is a problem. It is. And this rant that we're starting off is a little bit longer than what I normally start off with. But I want you to understand deeply where I'm coming from. Because I sat back, I listened to everybody's shows. I do. I tune in. And all I hear is more of the same. The more of us shouldering the burden. I saw the athletes last night. 
I heard what they had to say. We need to stop. Who in the hell are y'all talking to? Who is the we? I'm not taking ownership into what white folks do. I'm not owning that. You can keep that. I don't want no part of that whatsoever. None. What they do is their responsibility. We didn't ask to come over here in slave ships. We certainly didn't lynch ourselves. We certainly didn't impose Jim Crow, black code. We didn't impose those things. We're not assassinating our own leaders. If it is a brother that assassinates a leader, he's being paid by somebody that's white, which brings you back to the root of the issue, the root of the problem, which is white supremacy. We have to stop owning that. Even when we talk about matters, we need to stop talking as if everything is even. I work in a school. We have these situations where students sometimes do some things. Violence. One child will walk up, might push another child, might hit another child. When this happens, the first thing you hear is, well, both children are wrong. Hmm. Think about that. You're sitting down minding your own business. Somebody smacks you in your face. What's your first natural response? You're going to respond. So when you respond, now it's your fault? Now let's go to the law. If we go into a theater and I pull the fire alarm and yell fire and there is no fire and people get trampled on, people get killed, they're going to charge me for pulling that fire alarm. Well, because it's cause and effect. What cause people to run out? Me. Somebody slap you, you respond back by slapping and punching them. If somebody is gunning you down and you're seeing this on TV, and no one is, no one anywhere has to do time for killing you, no one is being convicted. Oh, you got a couple of T-shirts with your face on it, a couple of egomaniacs posting about you on Facebook so they can get some likes. Some celebrated leaders might hold a couple of protests that ain't going to go nowhere in four months. That's going to die down. Your name won't be mentioned again, a la Terrence Franklin. And don't get me wrong, I'm not against the protest. I'm not against the rallying. But what I am against is us being gunning da- gunned down and taking responsibility for the people who are gunning us down. That's not our burden. It is not. I'll be right back. People often say, you know, what's wrong with black folks? Why can't they get it together? What's wrong with Latinos? Uh, Why aren't they advancing as quickly as they should be? What's wrong with them? Studies have consistently shown for decades that people of color are no more likely to use or sell illegal drugs than whites yet they are arrested and incarcerated at grossly disproportionate rates. In some states, 80 to 90% of all drug offenders sent to prison have been one race, African American. And rather than asking what's wrong with them, 
perhaps we should ask, what is wrong with us? What's wrong with us? Not a goddamn thing. I want you to call in 347 826 9600. That's 347-826-9600. Once again, this is Rant Radio. We are talking about how you can, how we can, how collectively we can defeat white supremacy, which is a American problem. I want you guys to think about something. I want you to look at your children and ask yourself. Ask yourself this question. If your child goes out tomorrow and gets shot on the street by someone who looks like you, are you going to forgive that person? I want you to deeply just think about that. Because I'm asking that question because it seems like every time someone kills us that don't look like us, we're always forgiving folks. And I, I'm telling you, once again, it goes back to shouldering the burden, the white man's burden. It affects how we deal with each other. <clears throat> you ask sisters about qualifications to be with them. Sound like you interviewing for a job. Because this is what they tell us. Whether it's grade school level, grad school level, media. This is what they this is what white supremacy does to you. See, people are con Conditioned to believe that a person has to call you a nigger, a porch monkey, a spook to be racist or to be a white supremacist. But I'll shoot back at those people and say, no, that's not true. People don't have to call you those things. People don't have to say those things to you. They don't. They simply don't. People can treat you any kind of way, and it may be prejudice. But when they systematically, systematically discriminate against you based off your race, that is white supremacy slash racism. And what you're what you're seeing in this country. With all of these murders, these executions of these black men are pure out white supremacist tactics. Last night, Don Lemon hosted a CNN town hall. On this town hall, a police chief from... Missouri, I'm gonna tell y'all this brother's name. I posted it if you I posted it on, on Facebook. I'm gonna post it inside of the Rand Radio Wall because I I want you guys to listen to this brother and what he said. I couldn't find a YouTube clip of it, so I couldn't play it on the show tonight. But you have to listen to this brother. His name 
is that brother's name is Colonel Colonel K. L. Williams. Colonel K. L. Williams. You have to listen to Colonel K. L. Williams. I need you to go back. Listen to that brother and what he said about the Ku Klux Klan being inside of law enforcement. See, when brothers like myself say it, you get this, oh, it's a conspiracy theory. But it's another thing when you have a police chief who is telling you, no, 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 the Ku Klux Klan, it's actually inside of law enforcement. I saw the FBI report that stated that years ago. But when brothers are gunned down, do you hear any of these pundits on television mentioning the Ku Klux Klan? No. When you see Tamir Rice gunned down, And you know Hillary Clinton was calling her super predators when her husband was in office. I don't give a damn about the apology. Because the thing is, when they feel like we're predators, that's the opening for the Klan to do their dirt. See, when they pull... In the 1800s, when they pulled the troops out of the South and allowed the Klan to rise, that was just to keep black folks in check. We come out of slavery. We knew what the white man was right away. We knew good and damn well what white supremacy looked like. We knew we had to get the hell away from them because we dealt with the so-called good white folks before. We know, yeah, there were some good white people. Yeah, there were some white folks that helped us out. But we knew for every one, we knew it was 15 of them that double-crossed us. We know this. I'm not telling you that every white person is bad. No. There's no absolutes in this world. Every black person ain't good. There's a lot of black, white supremacists on television in your life. A lot of them. A lot of them. They don't even know they're programmed to be such. They come talking to you and Telling you things and trying to have you shoulder that burden They work in law enforcement too And they're in denial But back to this brother inside of Missouri Who just called it simple and plain He said it goes back to slavery That same officer was an overseer That same overseer joined the KKK because after we got off the plantations, they still wanted to keep us in check. You can't get one of these cops on television to take the damn burden of the police force. They won't own up to bad cops. But you got to sit up and apologize for Mika Johnson. Get the goddamn hell out of here. 
I don't know what religion anybody out there listening belongs to, but if your God is that damn foolish, you need to reevaluate. I don't think God would tell any of us to be that damn foolish. I don't. I, look, man, if you believe in the devil, I don't believe the devil would tell you to be that damn dumb. Seriously. But when you suffer from white supremacy, this is how you think. Brother said they need to tear down law enforcement and rebuild it up. In its current form, it will be what it's going to be. What does that mean? We had a senator from South Carolina who's been an outright coon most of the time while he's been in office. Even he felt compelled to get on the floor and tell how he has been racially profiled. See, it goes back to being a black male in America. You you could buy us off for a little bit, but, man, I'm going to tell you, when you see that kind of death resonate in front of you, look, man, a, a picture is worth a thousand words, they say. What do you think video is? When you see that, and you see a brother gunned down back to back to back to back. And you've been stopped just for driving a nice car like he said he was. Just for driving a new car. When you can go through that and you say, wow, they stopped me because I drove a new car. I can get killed because I got a new car. I can get killed because I moved into this neighborhood and they don't want me in this neighborhood. I can get killed because I'm driving on this highway and this cop is trying to earn some overtime because he's not getting paid a lot of money. That all goes back to white supremacy. It does. So when Mika Johnson gets up on that roof, if you believe the story, and he gets to shooting, what the hell do you think he's responding to? You don't think he's scared? Go and look up when white folks, the premiere of the movie, Birth of a Nation, came out. And how white people responded. That movie, which is a movie where they showed black men raping white women caused a rash of lynchings around this country. Just a movie. Just the idea of black men raping white women in their white supremacist mind, even though it's a movie, wasn't reality. It wasn't like seeing Phil gunned down. It wasn't like seeing Brother Sterling gunned down. It wasn't like seeing Brother Brazil gunned down. No, 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 no. It was just a movie. And look at how they responded. Look how they reacted. And you out there playing some damn Pokemon Go. What the hell is wrong with you? White supremacy. Because see, like Harriet Tubman said, she could have freed thousands more if they knew they were slaves. I was just that idiotic. And I ain't even blaming you for it. I know the source of the problem. I do. 
But when you go blaming our children and saying, what's wrong with these kids? You have to recognize a couple of things. They've seen those videos, too. I've talked to some kindergartners about living in a community in North Minneapolis having to hear gunshots while you parents are bragging about how you're staring in the hood or what you're doing for your people. Talk to your children and say what it's, see what it's doing for their mentality. Talk to them. Kids at night praying that they don't get shot. You're torturing them. Talk to the kids. You live in communities where you go to school with a kid, and he might not make it into class tomorrow because some damn knucklehead got a gun and he letting off too. We got to start looking this thing in the face, and we got to stand up and say enough is enough. We are not taking it from them. We're not taking it from us. We're not taking it from foreigners. We're not taking it from goddamn aliens. We're just not going to take it. If you harm one of us, you harm all of us, and when you harm all of us, we're coming for your head. That's what it has to be. We can't get apologetic when no one is apologizing to us. No one shoulders that burden with us. Someone's talking to you about social programs. Well, are the social programs going to create or correct the problems that we're having in our communities? Are they? And you might find out, if you look deep enough, that some of these people aren't even looking to fix the problem. We have created a nightmare for our youths. And we talk so much about our youths until we forget that the youths did not make this world they are in. This world that our youths inhabit today was made by us and made by adults. If we gave them a different world to live in, they would behave differently. But when you make jobs for Koreans and make jobs for every other ethnic group but your own, when you let other ethnic groups ship out all of your wealth, when you let the only growth industry in your community become the selling of crack, then you will be killed by your youth. And you'll be terrorized by your youth. These youth are not crazy. These youth are not unusual. They're responding to economic imperatives. When you've let then another people take every industry and every job, the youth become very creative. And they decide then that they're going to figure out a way to get funds within the community. When you let them be fed these ideas of what it means to be a man or a woman, 
is as defining themselves in terms of what they wear, buying the most expensive junk and garbage produced by other people. And when you then promote this kind of value system and this kind of behavior system, and yet you will not produce for those appetites and those desires, then they will turn around upon you and eat you alive. It is not unusual. Men have always struggled over scarce resources. And resources have been made scarce in our, in our community. And the only part of gold has been the selling of drugs. And when you have a gold mine, men will go to war over it. Yes, it's, it's not a mystery. And when they go to war over it, they will shoot and kill and they will destroy bystanders. Nothing unusual about that. Look at the millions and millions of people who were destroyed. Look at the millions of bystanders who were destroyed as the Europeans struggled over gold, when they struggled over markets, and people who got caught in the crossfires. Yet, you see, if we forget the history of these people, we will be too quick, too quick to condemn our youth and forget the role that we play in the life that they lead. And that was Dr. Amos Wilson. And I had to play that after the last segment just because I wanted to point out that our youth and our people in our community, they're only responding to white supremacy. Like he said, that pile of gold is hustling in the hood. They value clothes because we ain't gave them anything else to value. We're not controlling the schools. And I know we got a few charter schools here in the Twin Cities that are black. But ask yourself, does those institutions stack up, stand up against white institutions? At 6 o'clock, before we go into our last segment, I promise you, 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, I am going to give us the blueprint, because there's plenty of blueprints out here, but I'm going to tell you how we can help destroy white supremacy. First thing we need to do is get over this trauma. And we got to stop apologizing. Why are we sorry? Brother in Missouri told it like it was. Did you know Phil... I keep calling him Phil like I know the brother. That's how it is when you're black, though. Philando Castillo, God bless him, that brother, was pulled over 80-some-odd times. Some folks say, well, that's just useless information. No, that's not useless information. If you're pulled over 80-some-odd times, they're targeting you. We don't complain because we don't get results. 
So who was he going to complain to? The same people that were sending these racist cops out? To give him a ticket? Most of those citations that the brother received, if he got any, were waived. Think about that. Eighty-some nine times. Why do they do that? Because, see, in white supremacy, we were always brought over here for currency, free labor. Nothing's freer than pulling you over for some BS citation, writing you a ticket, knowing that your job might not give you the time off to go to court and deal with it because they'll just keep prolonging it, prolonging it, prolonging it. You end up paying. The state gets to fill their coffers or the city gets to fill their coffers or the county gets to fill their coffers with your hard-earned money that you are racially profiled for. I just want you to think about that. I want you to think long and hard about Ferguson. And they showed in Ferguson all of these people who had records just so the municipalities could function. See, it's slavery under a different name. Slavery never died. That's the trick of white supremacy. They just have you slaving under something else. And then they talk slick to you about somebody else. Oh, the welfare queens. Welfare is y'all, rep- is y'all reparations. Well, the majority of us ain't on welfare. You got affirmative action. Well, the majority of us ain't getting affirmative action money either. Well, you can call yourself niggas and we can't. That's racism. See... White supremacy is so damn stupid. It don't make sense. It paralyzes you because you start thinking that, man, maybe I am inferior. Maybe white folks do know better. Maybe I am ugly. Maybe I am fat. Maybe she is ugly. Maybe he is ugly. Maybe he is fat. Maybe he is short. I said tall, dark, and handsome. He's short, fat, and broke. Short, fat, and ugly. Can't be with that. Keeping it real with y'all. Because when we start looking at each other as less, we start treating each other as less. We start projecting these feelings that we be like, oh, well, they're not talking about me. They're talking about her. They're talking about him. Yeah, you're right. You can't trust those niggas. Hmm. You black? Mm-hmm. You feel like you a nigga? Mm-hmm. So we can't trust those. That means we can't trust you either. Trying to connect the dots so you can understand how this thing rolls. Then they tout out the president. He goes to Dallas. Had to come back overseas. 
This is more white supremacy for y'all because you have to understand, even though he is the commander-in-chief of the United States, he's quick to tell you he's not the president of black America. He's the president of all America. Where was he at today at Phil's funeral? You think he's going to be there at Alton Sterling's funeral? How about Elva Brazil? No, no, he's doing a town hall meeting for y'all. Well, he's going to tell you once again, you got to share some of his burden. See that? Oh, we want the American pie, right? Even though we've worked in the the fields for the pie, for the, for the fruit of the pie, right? We crafted the the crust for the pie. Man, we even turned the oven on. Man, we even chopped down the tree to put the log in so that the oven could be hot and warm. Mm-hmm. Hell, we even invented the oven. <laughs> and we have to wait the longest to eat. And even though we're the most hungriest, we're told, that we have to share equal, equally in the price of the pie, even though we did all the work, even though we're the hungriest, we have to wait the longest, and that our pain and everyone else's pain is equal. Think about that. Here we are, an hour after this today. Some boot-licking, respectable, uppity Negroes won't listen to my show. They'll be cheering this on. They'll be cheering it on Facebook, and they'll they'll get more into that burden. But see, when you're a black man in America, and you've seen what I've seen, and you've been through what I've been through, you don't want to hear all that. That's too much That's way too much It's way too much It's too much of a burden It's too much put on us It is, it's way too much To stomach that To have to deal with that It's way too much It's just too much We know better I'm going to share with you I knew Brothers were going to respond In a violent way After Philando Castile was murdered My timeline On Facebook From black men Brothers were saying They were scared And I'm not talking about cowards I'm talking about men that will love with the best of them, respect with the best of them, give with the best with them, hug with the best of them. But these brothers were saying they were scared, and these brothers will kill if you press them with the best of them. And when you see that, 
And I know I saw it down my timeline. Nobody acknowledges these brothers. The fear. Brothers saying they're scared to come home. What it's going to be like, they drive home from work, drive to work. Brother said he had to go get some milk from for his children. He was worried about it. So we took his pistol just in case. The cops pulled him over. Don't come in and, and tell me that we share. <laughs> I don't I don't care what respectable Negro you tout out there. Don't don't come to me telling me I share in that. You telling me you burned out my house and I got to own up to what you did? But if I burn down your house, it's just my responsibility solely. Matter of fact, if I burn down your house for sure, I'm getting jail time. You might get let go for influenza. This week, inside of Atlanta, you had Killer Mike, not Killer Mike, I'm sorry, David Banner, Life Jennings, brothers kind of going at it with each other at the panel. All Brother David Banner stated was that black men need to get arms and protect our community, protect our people, protect our women, protect our children. Brother Life Jennings said he was crazy. That crazy talk. And what you mean with that crazy talk? Russia, you're going to get people killed. Now, I want you to... Don't do not do that thing where you, you know, we, we, we quit with the rapid response. I just want you to think. In this country, you got the right to bear arms. You do. You can bear arms. You can protect what's yours. We see black men killing each other with foolishness all the time. This brother said, I spent 15 years in jail. These guys ain't going to put no money on your books. Okay. Okay. They they maybe won't. But if it comes to my daughter, my two sons, my wife, People in my family that I love I'm not worried about the money on my books If I gotta protect them That's my duty As a man If I gotta protect my community That's my duty as a man No other group feels pressure To not get guns Like black men This goes back to what I was saying About black men being in that space See don't cry or you a sissy. Don't get mad or you angry or you aggressive. Don't be too nice. You gay. See, we're the only men put in this box. So when brothers say, no, 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 no. It's all right to get guns and protect our women, our children, and each other. I agree. Because I would rather you, brother, sister, make sure a cop don't blow my brains out by packing a piece 
community. Versus a cell phone. These damn cell phones cost $700. You go get you a piece for that amount. What's more important? Selfies or self? That's just a, that's a fundamental question that we need to ask. When I heard Brother Light Jennings talk, I heard fear. When I hear a lot of black men talk, I hear fear. And that's all we get. A bunch of brothers that are scared. Meanwhile, we keep going to funeral after funeral. Meanwhile, we get T-shirt after T-shirt. Man, that was messed up. Man, we going to get the prosecutor got to do something. Man, let's boycott. Man, let's protest. Man, let's, let's wait on the federal government to do something. Let's pray about it. Let's let, let's say some positive words. Let's vote more. But we ain't said nothing about bleeding. I would like to make a few comments concerning the difference between the Black Revolution and the Negro Revolution. There's a difference. Are they both the same? And if they're not, what is the difference? What is the difference between a black revolution and a Negro revolution? First, what is a revolution? Sometimes I'm inclined to believe that many of our people are using this word revolution loosely without taking careful consideration what this word actually means and what its historic characteristics are. When you study the historic nature of revolutions, the motive of a revolution, the objective of a revolution, and the result of a revolution, and the methods used in a revolution, you may change words. You may devise another program. You may change your goal and you may change your mind. Look at the American Revolution. In 1776, that revolution was for what? For land. How was it? Why did they want land? Independence. How was it carried out? Bloodshed. Number one, it was based on land. The basis of independence. And the only way they could get it was bloodshed. The French Revolution, what was it based on? The land left against the landlord. What was it for? Land. How did they get it? Bloodshed. Was no love lost. Was no compromise. Was no negotiation. I'm telling you, you don't know what a revolution is. Because when you find out what it is, you'll get back in the alley. You'll get out of the way. revolution. What was it based on? Land. 
the landless against the landlord. How did they bring it about? Bloodshed. You haven't got a revolution that doesn't involve bloodshed. And you're afraid to bleed. And we are. And we are afraid to bleed. And no one is inciting go out and shoot white folks. But I'm telling you, go ask your white neighbor, your white coworker, what would they do if someone killed their child? What would they want to do if there was no justice? We're starting to be an unsympathetic group. Part of it is because we act pathetic. We're beautiful. I don't understand the idea of us not loving each other. I just don't. When I see black couples, I'm like, wow, that's that's great. You know, you see a happy black couple, that's a beautiful thing. You see black businesses that are really on top of it and they're going hard. Man, you're like, oh, man, I got to throw my support. I got to get my black excellence hat and my shirt. And I did that. I got to support whomever. And I do. Breaking bread. uh, Sammy's Eatery. And the list goes on and on. If it's black business here, I support it. But I'm telling you, we need to start putting each other first. And we need to shake the burden of white supremacy. We don't owe white folks nothing. We need to stop explaining to them what racism slash white supremacy is. I told a guy today, this is the information age. You have access to the Internet. I'm not going to tell you, white guy, what racism or white supremacy is. You need to look that up. I owe you nothing. You owe me nothing. We owe ourselves that debt, the debt is to ourselves on knowledge. I'm not going to talk to him about anything. We're not. We might not even end up on the same side anyway. He can look at the definition and, and get a, a a grasp of it and, and still hold to his side. That's cool. But I'm not going to waste my time when I could be spending that time talking to my brothers and to my sisters about what we need to do and what we can do to turn this thing around now we're turning to six o'clock and i told you at the top of the hour i was going to tell you some solutions so i hope you got your pen out pencil out in your paper because each state can do these things not hard at all the first thing you must do is you need to do an indaba style Town hall meeting And Indaba is a West African style of meeting It's where you go Talk about your grievances And your pain But then you also come up with solutions In the Indaba No foreigners Which means no whites Are allowed in the meeting No cameras No Facebook live None of that We can go sit at a ballpark watching our kids play games for two hours, four hours. Some go to basketball tournaments and they're eight hours. When it's time to solve issues, we got an excuse. Find a Saturday. That way you can make sure that the majority of people are off. 
We know we got folks who go to church, so we got to respect them going to church on Sunday. Take a Saturday. Take at least six hours at the minimum. The first two hours, talk about your grievances and your pain. The next four hours, talk about economic solutions. That's what you do with the first one. A couple of industries that black people, we patron more than any other groups. We patron, according to Nielsen's, we patronize dollar stores more than any other group in America. Us by ourselves, more than the collective of Latinos and whites and Asians. So we need to buy some dollar stores in our community. Makes it affordable for the people in the community, but we need dollar stores. We need, if you live in a large city, you should probably have five of them. So you want to figure out how you can pool your money together. And also, in business, the first rule is to use someone else's money. Check the towns and the cities that you're in, like in Minneapolis here. They have $35 million that's coming down the pipe for businesses to be started. Get together at the Indaba, set up groups, figure out who can do what. Focus on economics and economics only. That's the first thing. Don't talk about nothing else. Don't nobody try to give no campaign speech. Nobody talk about no rally, no protest, no boycott. We're going to get to that. Six hours. Remember that. First two hours, you talk about what's wrong. You can talk about all those other things in the first two hours. Make sure you, when you guys are coming up with these things, make sure you have water for the people. Make sure you have food and bathrooms. That way, there's no reason for people to leave. Be remindful. Everybody don't eat pork. Everybody don't eat meat. So be reminded for those things. Also be reminded that in these endeavors, you're going to have disagreement. Men are going to raise their voice, like what you had with David Banner and Life Jennings. That's common. That's cool. I'm not mad at Life Jennings because he had a difference of opinion. He's entitled to his, his opinion, like Banner's entitled to his. I'm entitled to mine. Brother Rodney's entitled to his. So dollar stores, that's one. Convenient stores and gas stations. Once again, we spend a, 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 the majority of our money. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. We are the number one patrons to these kind of stores. So we need a couple of convenience stores and also gas stations. You need to talk about that in your Indaba. You need to come up with a committee for that as well. The next thing that we spend a lot of money on are drugstores. And if you look in most urban areas, there are a lot of drugstores. Walgreens, um, what's the other one? CVS. And then it's like the little mom and pop uh, drugstores as well. We need to get into these markets. Two more markets that I want to say that we need to get into. 
real quick. They didn't have this on the Nielsen, but I know I see it enough. Black women spend hundreds of millions of dollars a year on hair care products for themselves and their children, and black men too. We need to be in the hair care industry, period. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. We don't need to be buying these things from Mexicans. We don't need to be buying these things from Arabs. We don't need any of those particular uh, things. We don't need outsiders getting our money. It's time to make sure that the dollar circulates. Now, these, this, that, that list that I gave you, if you add inside of the hair care products, that would allow our money to at least circulate inside our community a lot longer than what it currently does now. Last but not least, because I talked about the drug stores, the dollar store, the hair care products, the gas stations, and the convenience stores, the last thing that we need to really get into inside of our community, and these are great businesses if you can get vested in them. We need to get vested into buying coffee shops. I know that sounds simple. That sounds silly. The coffee shop, if you find that black folks spend money at Starbucks, black folks spend money at Caribou, Dunn Brothers, the whole nine, Professional black folks, everyday working black folks like coffee. It's also a place where people can sit down, talk, exchange ideas, and get things going or talk about what's going on in the community. That's what you talk about. Those should be your targets. You could talk about the particulars. You could talk about other businesses inside of there, but I'm telling you, if you want to start, you got to start with these kind of businesses after you start with those businesses and you get your capital up, you can in turn you can in turn use these businesses and bring a bank in and allow the bank to fund real estate purchase in the neighborhoods and the communities and you can also use that to create schools in your community. Now I don't want to go too much off the rail, I just want to tell you, this takes time, this takes planning, this takes commitment, and this is going to take a self-imposed tax on ourselves. I heard a brother say this at the last endowment, I thought about it, I said, you know what, that, that's real. We do need a self-imposed tax. Because what white supremacy is, white supremacy is inst- as an institution. an institution so I want you guys to think about institution building and when you build these businesses let's not spread out the businesses too far the drugstore and the dollar store should be in close proximity to the hair care products as well as the coffee shop you don't want to do a coffee shop do a place where folks can sit down and eat you can swap them out 
but it should be centralized places where we are at. I didn't say anything about clothing stores because there's certain licenses that you need to have for clothing stores that might cost too much money right now. And even inside of your your convenience store gas station, if you want to, you could even put in a food. You could put in a, um, a Chicago style deli or a soul food kitchen inside of there. I see them done all inside of the Twin Cities all the time. But we have to tackle the economic piece first. After that indaba, got to hold everybody accountable. There should be community updates. On what's going on Everyone should be held accountable To their part We don't need the Messiah complex No one's going to save anybody We all have to do it ourselves The next quarter You have another Andaba You meet for The minimum six hours again First two hours, you get caught up making sure that the things for the economics were done, and you talk about the grievances. The next four hours, you're talking about education. You need education. You need education for one to talk about your, your uh, grade schoolers, and we need to create schools. I personally, I'm not the biggest fans of charters, but I work for charter. I see how charters can work well. I've seen how charters cannot work so well, and I've also seen public schools. The charter, you can create your own board. You can be in control of your own board, and you can also make sure that your taxes are poured into said charter, even if it's just a self-imposed tax. Tax yourself at 10% of whatever your paycheck is and give it to the charter. As a matter of fact, you know what, 10% is too much. I'll say 5%. I understand that we are in a bind and everybody can't just give money. I get it. But these things are for the well-being of your children and in your future, and maybe we need to sacrifice, not maybe, we do need to sacrifice our cable bill. Maybe we don't need all the features on our cell phone. Maybe we don't need to go to happy hour as much. Maybe we don't need that extra pair of shoes either. It's going to require sacrifice. But you need to talk about charter schools. You also need to talk about creating a community online college with the educated folks there. Financial aid is big. Federal government is using uh, funds to educate us, and we are inadequate community colleges that we're not getting degrees from. We're having a a high dropout rate at a lot of these community colleges. Let's create some online programs. Let's talk to those who are educated in our communities. Let's work together. Let's do this as a people. We also need people who are educated on real estate. We need nurses. We need doctors. We need lawyers. The whole nine. What we need to do at Nisadaba is we need to talk about the children in the community who are projecting to do those things 
and how we can assist them as a community on that road to make sure that they come back once they graduate from school and they build up the community. Whether you decide that the community is where you're at now or you guys decide to create another community, that is totally up to you. Next quarter, you meet up again. This time you're going to discuss politics and policing. They go hand in hand. Why? Because the politicians make the laws that the police are enforcing. But if you don't have money, you can't control the politicians. Don't give me your vote controls the politicians. Voting is a good tool when you can enforce it. Laws are a good tool when you can enforce it. Capital allows you to enforce it because no one can outspin the politicians that you are putting in place. First, you need to do a gut check on the politicians you have in place. Do they represent your community values? I'm not talking about outside values. I'm not. Don't go talking about what the 5% of you want and need. What do the majority of you need? This is not picking on anybody who belong to the LGBTQ community or picking on brothers who got white wives, Chinese wives, Mexican wives, midget wives, or what have you. You need to really invest in politicians who are doing the will of the people. First, you work on city council members who run for city council. Next, who can run for mayor. Next, who can run a congressional seats whether it's the U.S. Congressional or Senate seats and also your state legislation. But you need to look and see who's ready. If you have nobody that's ready, then you need to look at candidates who may you may be able to groom into those positions. If there's nobody that you can groom into those positions, who is there now that you can invest in that share some of your values, some of your morals, some of your principles, some of your vision. Can you invest in that person and hold that person accountable until you find somebody who fits the bill totally? Then you go to the city prosecutor and you try to figure out, are they holding the police accountable? You need the data to figure out, are there too many traffic tickets written inside of your community? Are there pro, is there profiling going on inside of your community? If so, now that you got your, you're working on getting your money right, because none of this is going to happen overnight. None of this is overnight success. This is a process, but you're working towards the process. So then you're going to try to figure these things out. You're going to sit down as a collective because there's got to be a council of people that everybody believes 
are going to do the bidding of the people, that the people can hold accountable, that they can go out, not necessarily just speak in private. We got to get out of this speaking in private to white folks. We need to speak in public, not only just to hold each other accountable, but to hold them accountable too. Invite these people, not into the Indaba, but into a community meeting that's open to anyone. Don't let them know your blueprint. Don't let them know your desires, your wants. You let them know what the problem is, and you ask them how are they going to fix it. Last but not least, for the last quarter, you hold an adaba and you focus on health care. You look at the health of the people in your community. What are they suffering from? What are some of the ailments that people are struggling with? And you sit and you ask the question of how can we get better culture for health care? How can we get more people out walking? How can we deal with this mental trauma, stress that stems all the way back to slavery, up to Jim Crow, up to the war on drugs? How can we make this possible? Do we have the people in place to help us out? I know we got uh, Obamacare. Maybe we need to make sure that our people are insured enough to make sure they can get the help. But once you got your economics, your education, your politics, and your health on board, once it's flowing, you got people in place that's going to do all these things, there's nothing that can stop you. All those things have to be rooted in knowledge of self, and it all has to be rooted in not holding the burden for white supremacy and what white folks do wrong, say wrong, think wrong, feel wrong, and learn wrong. We can't show that. We have to shake that. And we can only do that with each other. And I'm going to call, bring in Brother Rodney. Hello, Brother Rodney. How you doing today? I'm doing good, Brother. How are you? Oh, man, I'm doing A-OK. Good. So, uh, Brother Rodney, what do you think about some of the things I laid out there? I mean, in general, I think it's another plan that's, you know, good uh, I don't believe that, as you told me once before, there's been a shortage of plans or or lists or programs. Uh, our shortcoming exactly. has been in the doing, the execution. So as far as a plan goes, I was, I mean, I would be a little hesitant on the, the dollar stores because of some of the harmful products they sell. But I mean, in general, it is a plan that, if we if executed, can work. Oh, yeah, and you have to remember, the dollar store, there's plenty of dollar stores. You don't necessarily have to sell the toys that are harmful to our children. But you can sell the other products that we use, like uh, dish detergent, 
uh, laundry soap, toilet paper, um, other knickknacks around the house. Uh, you know, so they, they, it's a profitable business that if we're spending our capital, our capital on, you know, coloring books, things of that nature, we should definitely be in the business. If our people are there, um, that's what they're spending their money on, we better get on top of it. Well, businesses for black people, and I think that we, I mean, I like the idea about the endowment because it gives you a chance to talk and for a group to talk, but I do believe that doing things for black people tends to be different for other people because of some mindset that we have. And sometimes there's no shortage of certain types of black businesses it's a matter of patronage to those businesses. So it's great to have a black-owned business of whatever type it is. That's something that black people normally use, but the black people have to use the business. If they don't own, if they don't use the businesses that are created or that are already there, then what you have is that either has to start catering to other groups or that goes out mm-hmm. of business. I remember Sam Smith used to tell me, he says, Rodney, you see that business over there? I see, he'd, say, I'd say, yeah. He'd say, what do you see? I'd say, well, it's a black-owned business with black employees selling products to black people. And, you know, he would tell me, he said, now what you're really looking at is a business that's on its way out of business. And at first I was like, well, why is that? And he said, because that's the recipe of failure in our community in general, not exclusively, but in general. And I, when I asked him further from his experience, because about has about 20 years on me, he said, because black people tend not to support poor black people that are owned and run by black people selling black products. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a mindset in there that has to be changed. For example, you mentioned some good key businesses like a gas station because all of us drive. Well, I don't know about you, but I live in Las Vegas. It's an international city, and there's not one black-owned service station in the state. There's not one black-owned grocery store in the state, nor is there one black bank in the state. Mm. But we've had all of them. We have zero. Mm. We don't even have a black newspaper. So I guess what I'm saying is until the mindsets of black people change to where black people support black people and especially black businesses, it, it makes it it's not impossible by any means. But it is very difficult to push forward a blueprint for black people when the businesses are dependent on black people to keep them afloat. And that's why that's why you hold the indaba, because when you hold the indaba and you make it a community spread indaba, and you don't put it at a time where the average black citizen can't make it. Now you're not gonna get everybody, but you want to get the majority of folks. And once you put the self-imposed tax in, then it's something that people are invested in. Um, we we have to start changing our minds on how we see things, and we have to capture the energy of this anger and this disgust right now, and we got to make it productive. And we know, hey, things don't always turn out perfectly, 
and I don't expect people to actually do anything that I said. I'm going to be honest. Part of the reason why is because of the burden that we feel like we need to bear the cross. And the other thing is because I feel like sometimes what happens is when you see things fail so much, it gets rooted in your head. My uh, e-com professor uh, once said that sometimes it's best to be naive in business versus, um, you know, uh, versus experience. He said because when you're naive, you'll take risk on business and it might turn out to be great for you. But when you are a person that's been through a lot and you've seen a lot of failure, it'll make you gunshot on certain business ventures. And I feel like that's what happens with us a lot. in Amer- And I'm talking about African Americans because I feel like over the time, Brother Rodney, as, as you know, uh, you know, being a product, uh, you know, coming up through the 60s, 70s on up, you know, that our people have been through a lot of a lot of heartache and a lot of pain. And when you go through that, it kind of makes you you want to help, but it can make it can sour you out real quick cuz you you see things like, "Oh man, I've just seen this before. I know where this is going." So, you know, hopefully we get we can get this young blood uh pumping and get them um invested and getting them to want to invest and take stock in the community and you know we can we can destroy white supremacy it's it's within our power to just wipe it out well i definitely think that we have the power to uh diminish it if not wipe it out because ultimately white supremacy is in the minds of white people that is infected the minds of black people so once we get our own minds straight it'll help a lot. But ultimately, as long as they're in the positions of power, they're the ones who determine what we typically react to. So I, 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 one of the reasons why I was late was I was invited to a meeting that's a spinoff of the uh, Reclaim Malcolm X Day uh, group that I met with and then a group that was at the rally that we did the other night for the chilling uh, Saturday. And they invited me in. And they were millennials who wanted to have someone they could ask questions to about how the system works and what is the system. And I was very thankful that they uh, gave me an opportunity to share in what I've learned over my lifetime. But the first thing that came very obvious to me was how little that they knew in the government. And I was with another group. Uh, this was this last group I was with was women. Uh, previously, I was with a group that was mostly men. These are young men, millennials, and it came down to the same thing: is that they had really no clue of how things work. And a lot of the things that they were proposing, you know, I didn't want to throw any cold water on their ideas, so I didn't. I supported them, but the reality of it was none of it has an opportunity really to work because it didn't use the system that was there and actually the system that was there would crush them. And uh, right. so today the young ladies wanted to know how did it work and I, I showed them and they were just so surprised that this is how things really work. But what they were willing to do was they were willing to learn it so that they could defeat it 
and it's hard to defeat something that you don't know. It goes against everything that they teach us uh, in the art of war. You have to know your enemy. No, I definitely get that. And like I said before, we can we can do it. I just think that we have to, you know, you got to get the youth in there, and sometimes them being naive about things is the energy. You know, I look at <laughs> when I was – Look at some of the things I did when I was a kid. I said, man, I'd never get up and climb up no tree now. You know, you'll never catch me climbing a tree. Ever. I would never climb a tree. Not right now. But as a kid, I definitely did. Some good exercise. Why? Because I know the risk. I know what would happen if I fall. I know what would happen if, you know, I slipped. So I think sometimes we have to just let the youth get out there and get their feet wet. Another thing that I uh, wanted to talk to you about, Brother Rodney, just to uh, transition because uh, you came in late, is, I mean, as a black male, how did you feel seeing the murders of uh, these brothers on on the Internet? I didn't feel. I didn't feel anything. Okay. I'm just putting it out there. Uh, I've okay. seen so much of it that it almost didn't faze me. Uh, okay. What, what does faze me and what will faze me is when we, I'm talking about black people, are willing to take steps to empower ourselves. Now, that would faze me. But to see another black person get killed, whether it's to get shot on camera, like the, uh, well, we, we, I saw the aftermath of the steel or the three uh, men, young men that were sitting in the uh, in the vehicle. It's just another, it's just another person getting killed. So you didn't feel any type of way when you saw those that that situation. How did you feel when you heard about the cops uh, getting shot inside of Atlanta? I mean, inside of Dallas. Again, there was no, there was no, there wasn't much feeling because I anticipated that this was going to happen. I mean, I didn't think it was going to be so many. I didn't think it was going to be in Dallas. I just had the notion that it was going to be someplace because of a lot of the rhetoric that we, you know, sometimes see and hear in social media. This is all expected. And as a matter of fact, not only is it expected, but you can almost plan for it because human behavior is predictable. If you do something to a people long enough, and they get angry enough, you back them into a corner like any animal, eventually they will lash out. And especially those who have weaker minds, which is usually the case, and they hear these things, they will do things like that. So for me at this stage of my life and with my experiences, there really is no feeling. The emotion for me would come about when we, black people, decide to take the steps that we need to improve our condition. And thus far, in this modern era, we simply have not done it. All right. I mean, that's that's a little bit different for me. I'll be honest. As a black male, for me, anytime I see black pain and suffering, um, I definitely, you know, I feel a certain way. And I don't know about the rhetoric on social media. I can tell you from brothers who don't, deal with the internet too much, who got Facebook pages who are on just on their phones, their expressions of feeling scared and knowing that a police
police officer could kill them and get away with it because it's happened time and time again. I knew something was going to happen because I know some of these men personally, and I know how these men are. And when you see men saying that they're scared to go get milk for their children at night because they're scared they won't make it home, or they're scared to go to work because they're scared they won't make it home or drive home from work because they're scared they won't make it home, and they're all saying that, hey, legally, illegally, I'm going to take my pistol with me, and I'm going to make it to wherever I'm going. No one's going to kill me. I take that as a sign of, yes, people being backed into the corner. The rhetoric, I don't buy. And let me tell you why I don't buy it. Because I feel like, did you, for, for one minute, did you watch the CNN town hall last night? Uh, I couldn't stand all of it, so I, I no, I didn't watch all of it. I did watch uh, a part of it. So I watched the last part. Very explosive. This brother should have been on the panel. This chief out of Missouri, who simply stated, as a police chief, not a person who's on the Internet, not a person in media, not an activist, brother stated, simple and plain, the Ku Klux Klan has infiltrated law enforcement. We've known this for quite some time. We know that the test they're not vetting who's coming, becoming a cop. And he talked about how these cops through the system has been pretty much able to run rampant. He talked about the so-called good cop and what happens to the good cop when they do speak out, how they are transferred, how sometimes they are targeted, and how they are fired. Now, when I heard that, and I even heard a, a, uh, one of the heads of the police, or former heads of the police from Chicago that was on the panel, he was in a lot of denial throughout the night. But he gave applause to what the brother was saying, and he told the brother, I wish I was still in charge in Chicago because I would hire you right away. Even though the brother didn't need a job, he's already a chief. Point being, Brother Rodney, is that when I see these things happening and I've read the report from the FBI warning that the Ku Klux Klan and other white supremacist groups have infiltrated the police, I know that is not rhetoric. I know once the feds say it, I know once a chief like this says it, I know once all the other police officers that's inside of the audience, they all co-sign it. I know that that's real. And I feel like what happens is, and you touched on it, when you talked about the cornering an animal or, the, or people, do you blame the animal for lashing out or do you blame the person that's cornering the animal? Well, you blame, well, it's, if it's going to be a blame thing, obviously the animal is lashing out because, or a person is lashing out because of what's been done to the person or animal. Well, 
let, oh, let's take let, 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 let's take it a step further. Let, let's take it out of blame. We talk about cause and effect. If the root cause is a person being cornered, the effect would be them lashing out, right? If you if you honestly feel like you're scared, especially if you're mentally unstable, right? It is a natural response that if you are put in a position of no win, that your survival instincts kick in. Okay. Now I, I just want to I want to ask this question too, because I have been feeling this way just watching the pundits from Roland Martin, who by the way, right here, is that an S curl on that brother's head? I don't know. <laughs> I, the brother just need to go ahead and go ball. Just go. Come on home, brother. Just, just go ahead. Come on home. I don't I don't know what he's trying to do, but oh, the '80s man. is gone. The S curl is dead, brother. Just let it go. But see, I didn't know Mark, the S curl or the classy curl. I didn't know which one it was. <laughs> man, he might, your brother, he might say he what three fifths Cherokee. Who knows? But <laughs> but uh, I'm in a little bit of warmth. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. But when I when I when I when I sit back and I watch even the black pundits take ownership for Mika Johnson. If you believe the official story, I, I struggle with the official story myself. And one of the reasons why I struggle with the story is if you use the bomb to blow the brother up, normally after scenes, they know, you know how the media shows you everything? Mm-hmm. I, I ain't see no, where's the aftermath? You know, they like to show us everything else. Let, let me see something. You had him corner. So I came by the official story. But even with that said, you know, I, I roll with it for now. I can't. I don't have no other proof. So if if, if I if I'm taking the official story at, at at face value, I'm brother Rodney. I don't feel like I'm responsible, or I don't believe what he did. I don't feel like you or myself should shoulder the burden and feel sorry. I shouldn't say. I, I don't want to say feel sorry. I want to say I don't feel like we owe the police department an apology because that brother did that. How about you? Well, I don't feel like I owe anybody an apology for what he did. I'm not now, but to be clear, I am not saying I condone what he did. As a matter of fact, I'm on, on the radio, I don't condone what he did, and I think it was wrong for him to do it, uh, regardless of the circumstance. And I do believe that he's one of those brothers who had some problem that some of the rhetoric, and I think it's reckless rhetoric on our side, set him off. I also have people on my Facebook page who are, I recently found out, white supremacists. And the way I found out about it was I saw some of their comments that were made. Now, you asked me about how did I feel before. I'll admit there was a chill that shook me when I saw that. Not because they were my associates, people I know, because when I first met them, I knew they were suspect. And I think the only reason why they accepted me was because they saw some stuff associated with my military service, which is typical because okay. if you tend to serve, they'll, they, they overlook your blackness to a certain extent. But when I read their remarks, and what they were preparing to do, and I don't know if this has made any national news headlines, but this is somebody on my timeline 
who is writing, maybe he didn't realize what he was writing on his page was coming to me, but he was writing on the timeline about how he had been preparing for this, had been waiting on this, how the violent, radical, and racist Black Lives Matter organization has been (laughs) urging them on for this, and now it's happening, and everybody, and this is his word, everyone needs to have their head on the swivel because it's about to go down. I got enough for myself, and if you need some, I got some for you too. Now, that sends a chill because I know that we, not the police, I know that black people are not prepared for that. Now, he did not activate himself as best as I know or his buddy, but I do know that he was on the cusp of doing it. So, no, I don't feel I have to apologize for what that brother did, but at the same token, I do not condone what he did. Because remember, he shot a black woman. Oh, no, no. Brother, I I talked about that earlier in the show. I I talked about that earlier in the show where the the conversation from the media, if you ask me, the only time we we saw the sister on TV is when she kind of went and did the dog and pony thing. She said she, she went to go stand in solidarity, but she didn't go to protest the police. And I'm like, sister, it was a protest. If you show up to a protest, you're there to protest, period, right? Like we, don't, we don't need to apologize for protesting police brutality. We just don't. Um, I, you know, I, I, can, I, I can buy the fact that, you know, and, and I, I've said this for quite some time. I, I said this to some brothers five years ago. I said, y'all sit around and watch MMA. Y'all ain't seeing that the average white boy is going and he's training for MMA? Do you know what that means? He's training for MMA and you are golfing or you are doing all these other things that they would do uh, to not, you know, get their hand-eye coordination up together. Brothers ain't even out hooping no more, Brother Rodney. Brothers ain't doing nothing. Man, most of these brothers got their balls and their wise purse, to be real. <laughs> can't fight a lick, can't first, shoot a lick, can't duck a lick. Where's all my ladies from the front porch? We had this conversation about two weeks ago, and that very phrase came out, Brother Barry, is all y'all want to do is keep your men nuts in your pocketbook and then issue them to them when you want them to use it and then got your hand out for him to, for immediate return. Exactly. Exactly, and that's the thing I'm saying. So when you see when you see this aggression, and these cops are taking these too. These, these cops are. We, we talked about. I think we talked about a show. We talked about steroid rage. Remember that? Well, about two years yep. ago. Yep. We yep. talked about the cops and the steroid mm-hmm. rage. Yep. And these cops are taking the steroids because they're training for MMA. And if you see these white boys training for MMA, um, you, you see them doing these things. My wife had. Uh, she had posted. Something on Facebook about a guy, a brother from uh, Jamaica who liked to run, but he came to America and he was scared to run because of racism and, and the whole nine. And you say, man, look, we're not staying in shape because of some of these, because of white supremacy. We're not training because of some of these cultural things that we feel like we have to do to either, you know, stay safe or stay married, whatever it is. Uh, we're not preparing for what they're preparing for now. Brother Rodney, I wanted to I, I want to say this to tie it into what you were saying. I saw that night, and I and I listened 
to the media reports. And the reason why I'm not buying the official story is because some of the things that was reported doesn't match up with the official story. And what I was hearing was the cops saying that they were getting shot shot at from several different locations. That's one. Mm-hmm. The other thing was a bro- I saw two different videos where brothers were saying that they saw some white men hop out shooting. Now, I know this didn't, I saw this on the news, but nobody talked about it. Two days after the aftermath in Dallas, there was a masked gunman standing outside the Dallas police station. Last year, they had some white supremacists who shot into the Dallas police station. That's why I came by the official story, Brother Rodney. Because it's too many, it's, it's too much, it's too much uncertainty, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, actually I do, and, you know, I, it's very difficult to take news reports at face value nowadays because the news obviously isn't the news like it was 30 or 40 years ago, assuming that it was the news then. But I, I can tell you from firsthand experience, uh, it was a much different. You know, if, if somebody got, if a, if a national leader, uh, whether it's mm-hmm. a presidential candidate, uh, Malcolm X, Dr. King, somebody like that got shot, the news reporters would report it, but it was almost emotionalist or as emotionally as emotionless as possible. They would report what mm-hmm. happened. It would just give you the information. So in today's news, it's a much more sensationalized that has a lot of adjectives and extemporaneous data that isn't necessary to report just the news. What I will say about the, the shooting is immediately I knew that it was some type of professional something that was involved. Now, I actually mm-hmm. thought that we were going to be surprised, and it was going to be some white supremacists that had done the shooting. That's what I actually mm-hmm. had thought. When it turned out that it was the brother, I had some questions, but again, without anything else to go on, you know, that's, that's right. all I have to go on. But I also right. say that that's one of the dangers of us of us even participating in anything like that because then mm-hmm. we become a tool. And here's, here's a case right. in point. We did a rally Saturday night. It wasn't a Black Lives Matter rally. It was a rally, and it was a vigil to recognize uh, black Americans. And the news reported it. As well, they reported it two ways. Some reported it as a Black Lives Matter, and then some reported it as All Lives Matter. None of us had anything about All Lives Matter out there, but that's how it went out to the to the masses, right? But then right. The, the worst part about it, I wrote on your page, is there was people supporting us and hocking their horns and whatnot, and they wound up being a fender bender. I mean, it was a pretty nice accident. A, a car ran into the back of a, a white. Uh, pickup truck and there was a small explosion fire and people from mm. the rally ran out to render aid. They used their water mm. bottles and stuff to put out the fire and help uh, extricate people from the vehicles which was good. Right. But what happened, and this is a danger of us, and I've noticed this from Ferguson 
my homeboy Lee and uh, Lee Vaughn in Baltimore told me about it, and I got a chance to see it in preparations for other rallies that I usually didn't allow, but I didn't. I was just supporting the young people in this one, and immediately there were people who ran into the streets agitating the police and saying things that we weren't saying. And as I got closer to them, because I'm trying to get the people out of the middle of the street so traffic to flow and the ambulance to come in and do its thing, I'm, I'm saying, hey, could you please get out the street? And they didn't move, and I'm trying to figure out why these people aren't moving. And then that's Brother Barry, when I looked, first of all, they were, one of them was mask dropped, so they all had masks on, which is another thing I don't usually allow at my event. They had masks on, but when the mask dropped, they wound up being white people or people who mm. resemble Caucasian Americans. So that was the thing. Now, these are the people who we, are causing most of the ruckus. Right? You know, we have it here. And we, we've had we've had when it I here. Tried to, when I tried to get them, now, they didn't know me and I didn't know them. Most A lot of the people that I know, they see me in the community. But these people weren't right. listening. What they were doing is because you know how group think and happen, they were right. urging right. other people in, and unfortunately, I was like, come on, black people, we are here protesting the brutality of black people by white people police, and now you follow white people doing something that's going to get you beat by the police? And mm-hmm. sure enough, these white people, these, and, and they wound up being anarchists mm-hmm. at every rally, if you allow them in. They're the ones who mm-hmm. usually throw the bottles and rocks at the police and spit at the police. They're mm-hmm. the ones who usually start to chance about the negative comments about pigs and doing things to them. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, we chime in, and I was trying to keep our people separate from them so that they, the police didn't police us as they usually do instead of policing mm-hmm. them. Well, and Roddy, ultimately, let me say it had gone too far. Let me say this. I know that Black Lives Matter had a meeting last year in Cleveland. They had an Indaba. And in the Indaba, they specifically told everyone they did not want white people there. They right. wanted to focus because they felt like, and, and, and it's fact, a lot of the heat that they're taking, they're taking because they have white paid agitators. Mm-hmm. Infiltrating their movement They're the ones that's talking about Death to the pigs on video I know they keep showing mm-hmm. that video with them rallying That's not black folks saying that That's white folks uh, The other thing that I wanted to say about well, Black Lives Matter here White folks who started it But the black folks did join in unfortunately Oh yeah, yeah, yeah certainly But but once again We gotta you know once again, if, if you pull You're pulling the fire alarm you know, we are, they're pulling the fire alarm now. Should we say something differently? I got a I got a suggestion for that, but I just want to keep on going. I remember last year at the police precinct when they were uh, protesting, got a video with some white boys who showed up shooting, shot a couple mm-hmm. of people. They got into mm-hmm. a Minnesota State Troopers car to get away. Mm-hmm. Recently, last week, we've had people who were blocking the highway, cement blocks, or rocks thrown at the cops. Ninety percent of the people arrested were Caucasian. 
So you are right as far as us allowing them to do things and then we follow because, you know, in our black inferiority mindset, we think if white folks do it, let's do it. And this group thought as well. That, that, that plays a large part into it. I also believe, Rodney, and, and I, 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 I want to say this and then try to pivot into some, some, some solution base to close out the show. I believe that that's the danger when you don't have black adult males in the process. Because you'll find out that those anarchists, those white men, white women who are paid by the government, they don't want to stand next to a bunch of 27-plus, 30-plus black men who are there in protest, in solidarity, but if you move the wrong way, we're going to hurt something. They don't want no part of us. They don't want to be in meetings with us because we're going to tell them to shut the hell up and probably get the hell out. They don't want that. And I, I love the Panthers, but let's be real. They got infiltrated a lot by the FBI. They had a lot of hippies who infiltrated them, you know, who they partnered up with. And a lot of those hippies caused a lot of chaos as well. Those same hippies went on to get elected seats, go work for corporations. Black people, mm-hmm. we got to start planning these things out, thinking logical. And one thing for sure, two things for certain, that there will be more black men killed on camera, unfortunately. The only question that I want to, or the only answers I want to talk about next, Rodney, uh, with you to close out the show is what can we do about it if it happens next? When it happens next. Not if, when it happens next. Well, like you said, it's going to happen next. And one of the things is we're going to have to bridge the gulf uh, and we need to do it sooner versus later between younger black men and older black men. I mean, I've been in the community, and I've been working here for decades, but the younger black men hear so many negative stories about older black men that I know there's a group of men, young black men, who don't want to listen to anything I have to say or anything that I have to share with them because they don't respect me because what they've heard about men my age. Now, I've been through it, and many like me have been through it. We have the battle scars for it. What we're trying to do is say, hey, instead of you doing it like this, look at doing it this way over here. But because they don't want to hear that, what they do is they make the same missteps that we made and get the same treatment that we got, which means that we're not advancing. Anytime each generation is doing the same thing as the previous generation, you're not advancing, and the people know your moves. So that's one thing that we have to do is we have to bridge those that cultural divide uh, between the young and the old black man or the young bull and the old bull, whatever analogy we'd like to use. The other thing is white people's mindset are not going to change right now. There is no laws that can be passed. That's not going to white man's mindset. We do have to look at, I believe, what we can do for ourselves. So, for example, we are learning how to shoot. We're taking people to the range, and we're showing them how to shoot. We're helping them select weapons. Now, we're not doing that for an offensive thing, but what we are doing is similar to what you articulated earlier. Be prepared to at least protect your own property. 
and to protect yourself. You have to be able to do that. So, and then the other thing is you have to learn the system. If you want to make changes to the system, you have to learn the system in order to defeat the system. It's like any other sports game out there. If you come in and you don't know the rules, you get a bunch of fouls and penalties. If you know the rules, there's nothing that's been created by man that black people haven't been able to uh, exceed and succeed in. And I think you have to, until we can develop, I know a lot of brothers and sisters say we need to have our own. Well, until we develop our own, we're living in theirs, and there are rules to it that we can learn and and defeat them. So, yeah, I do believe there's a lot of things you have to do. And you talked about it earlier. It's hard to boycott something, but ultimately you're going to have to use that something. So when we talk about boycott, those things are nice, and that's you know it's a great way to make you feel like you're doing something. But does it get the desired result? Because if you save your money today and you go spend your money tomorrow or next week or next month, the bottom line is you still spent your money. At the end of the quarter, you know my my P and L statement is still showing I got your money. So until we develop those core businesses like some of the ones that that you mentioned, uh, a boycott doesn't really mean that much long term or change things. So developing economic clout and power along with political clout and power, learning the system, and you said it earlier, Brother Barry, you are not my enemy. My The sisters out there, whether they like men or not, they are not my enemy. My enemy is white supremacy, and my objective is to do what I can to survive in it and then next to defeat it as much as possible. And, and I'm glad you said you stated that. I just want to um, say real quick, you know, I, I think that the solution is for us as a people is, is pretty much this. We are all we got, so we might as well figure out a way to get along with each other, love on each other, and hold each other accountable. The accountability mean comes with critique. The critique may hurt your feelings, but don't take the critique as someone being cruel, Someone hating you know when a critique is out of love and out of care. I've seen some horrific things happen to black men, and it, it, it definitely bothers me. It does. And I know when you're following the law and you're expecting the law of the land to have your back and it doesn't, it's like a, it, it leaves a hole in hope. I know President Obama and I will be on talking about hope and this thing, but I want to tell us we have to be careful on people we champion, people we spend our energy on defending, and they are not defending us. We can't waste our time. We can, I agree with Brother Rodney, let's not talk about just boycott. What are we going to create to fill those voids? We should create those things first. Then the boycott should be by supporting those things growing. We shouldn't always talk about killing before we talk about healing. And healing is creating businesses, stores in our community. So we don't have the air of selling our young men and women, um, you know, synthetic weed or, uh, you know, the swisher sweets or what have you. We can create stores and we can do things the right way. And by us patronizing each other's businesses, treating each other with respect and care, 
hey, that's how you get it back. But the biggest thing first is we have to meet in private. Everything we say, everything we do, even though I gave you tips on what to do, you can go inside of your endeavors and do your own thing. Create your own blueprint, but keep it close to the vest. doesn't need to be in the city newspaper. It doesn't need to be on the city radio stations. don't need to be on the city news. Go inside, have those meetings. If black folks is coming up with excuses on why they can't make it, then they don't need to be a part of what you're doing. I love my people, but we have to hold, look, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to advance collectively or are you trying to perish collectively? Those who are perishing, I don't want no parts of that. So if you got if your excuse is your child had flag football, tackle football, AAU, gymnastics, a dance recital, a play, you had to go kick it with your homegirls, you went on vacation, you couldn't make it, cool. Just either you still get on the board during the other end hours or hey, you left off. Because things we want to do, we don't make excuses for. You're going to have to sacrifice something. If not, you will be sacrificed. That's just all it is. Brother Phil, sacrifice. Brother Alton, sacrifice. Brother Alva, sacrifice. D'Angelo Webb, sacrifice. So what are you willing to sacrifice so you don't have to worry about giving up your life? That's just that's just where we're at right now. Those are the solutions. We can either play with it or get played with. And as Rand Radio, I came back on Brother Rodney for this because it was just too compelling. I promise everybody uh, once the unintended citizens will be up, in August, we'll be doing our shows full swing. We're going to add a new twist to the show. We are going to add video to the show. So that way we can get our chat room going. And we've got a whole new format that we'll be doing with Rant Radio. Brother Rodney, I'll be talking to you more about it, trying to get you and Angela to get on video as well. Uh, but that's Rant Radio. Brother Rodney, thank you for coming on. Sister Lanisha, thank you for listening. And Steve Russell Jackson and everybody else who was out there who was listening. Appreciate you all. Have a good night. Peace. Peace.